0: James, I think you need to get that one going amongst all the people. That brought that brought some energy. Not that we don't normally have energy, but that brought a youthful these little these these kids. Parker's over here singing. I'm thinking, Parker, why aren't you up here? You're probably supposed to be up here anyway. Yeah, I'm sorry, sorry Nancy, I'm really sorry. And Rachel, he's I'm raising little rebellious children, black-hearted sinners they are. I'm sorry. Okay, okay, okay. Well, last night was great. It was my first Thanksgiving here at Bellevue, and I thought it went really well. I saw so many people that I've never seen before, and that's a good thing. So I've spent all this time learning. I, I always try to scale the crowd. There's probably 150 people here, and I recognize most people. And then last night, there's like 150 new people. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. But it was really good. I was glad I was glad to meet new faces, and I hope there's some new faces in here this morning. But... Uh, I was telling Jared today, this is the the least anxious I've ever felt in this building, because I don't have to preach today, and praise the Lord for that, a little, a week of rest, but uh, I'm excited to have Jared here, and um, we, I met Jared through the Kentucky Baptist Convention, so the Kentucky Baptist Convention has three church planning focus areas, and Jared, you correct me if I'm wrong, but Cincinnati is one, New York is one, and I think Salt Lake City is one. Uh, I think that. I think that's it. So, obviously, Cincinnati is the closest. So, remember when I came up here, I don't know, a couple months ago, and we casted this missions vision of local missions, regional missions, and global missions. So, the local focus uh, at this time is obviously this community and the school. And the regional focus is Jared and uh, Middletown, because he's planting a church in Middletown, and we're going to Come alongside him, and we're not going to drive him nuts and and get in his way. But if he needs help, we're going to help him. If he needs support, we're going to support him uh, in certain ways. And uh, these are all good things. And uh, actually, Jared gave me the idea for the stock the break room at Kelly. So that idea came from him. So let's give him a round of applause for that. Jared was a teacher before he was a church planner. Uh, so he's still a teacher. He's just teaching the word uh, and that's good news. But, so I met Jared through the Kentucky Baptist Convention. We went on a Cincinnati vision tour to see, I think we met five church planners that day and they encouraged us to partner with somebody if we, if we had the availability and the desire to do so. And I connected with Jared uh, the most. So uh, I said, hey Jared, you know what would be great? You can come to our church and preach and tell us about your situation and yourself. And what was really awesome about this, and, and we had lunch together on Thursday, I don't know what day it was, we had lunch together one day this week, and I told him um, he is already, this partnership has already done amazing things um, in my life, like in our life also, the Kelly situation, which this is a reminder, we have that this week on Wednesday, we're going there. so. Uh, Benita, where's your baked spaghetti where you at Benita? all right we got that going we got that going yet okay uh so that's this week and i had something else and i lost my train of thought oh riley Ziski was here this week from australia and when he when he showed up here i thought oh my gosh how am i gonna i want to devote most of my time to this fella i feel like god had his hand in in that situation and it was no coincidence that Jared was preaching this week, and that took a that took a big load, a big workload away from me, so that I could focus on this friend of mine who I didn't know until this week, uh, so that I could pour into him and that we could get to know each other. And so I feel like God's got His hand in this partnership, and uh, I'm really excited about that. And I want I don't want to take up your time. This is your time now. So everybody, give a round of applause for Jared Davis. And also his wife and children are here, Desiree and JJ and Lily. I keep wanting to say Mary Grace. Lily Grace. Is that right, Lily Grace? Very nice to meet you.
1: Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Good morning, Bellevue. All right, come on, let's try that again, because I know uh, I've been told some of y'all are Bengals fans. So I know y'all going to be cheering a little bit louder than that later on today. So let's try it again. Good morning, Bellevue. There we go. Turn up. Let's go for the young people. Uh, as your awesome pastor said, my name is Jared Davis. I'm trying to make sure I got this thing hooked on me right uh, so it doesn't fall. So y'all, y'all give me just a second. That's how I fix my clothes. Yeah. OK, I think we're good. All right. Um, so, yes, I'm Jared Davis. I am originally from the south side of Cleveland, Ohio, um, and I pull no punches about that. I didn't grow up in the best neighborhood by any means, but I'm thankful uh, for the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit to give me the, the ability um, to not only just live in that neighborhood, but to thrive and to grow um, and to, to learn some stuff. Uh, and so I took all of that wonderful things that I learned in that neighborhood, good and bad, uh, and took that to the University of Dayton where I studied vocal performance. So let me tell you, okay, all the singing that was happening up here, even the bass, bro, when you was, when you was walking that bass line, I was, I was with you. I was with you. Um, So at University of Dayton, studying vocal performance, uh, I studied classical vocal performance. So my desire, my dream, my drive was to be on Broadway. Listen, this is what they don't tell you about trying to get on Broadway. It costs money, all right? You got to have a pianist and places to stay. And when you out of college, you don't have none of that because you broke. Um, So I didn't realize that. And I think uh, God just kind of found a new path for me. And that was education. So I served in education for, uh, I want to say about 15 years. Um, And here we are. So I got some slides and stuff that we'll walk through. Excuse me. But before I do any of that, let's pray. How about that? God, thank you so much for this opportunity. Uh, Father, I thank you even in the midst of my nervousness. uh, Lord, I pray that you would get the glory out of today. Um, Thank you for allowing myself and Pastor Tink to Uh, just connect and to get to know one another. When I say he is a man after your own heart, Father, I firmly believe that. And so God, as I pray for me in this moment, I also pray for him and the lovely people here at Bellevue. Would you continue to allow them to do the work that you've called them to do in this season and as they move forward in 2024. Now, God bless this time as I do all that I can to just share a little bit about uh, our testimony in Middletown, Ohio, but most importantly, get into the word. That's why we came today to hear a word that will leave us transformed and redirected for the better. Um, Father, we love you and we thank you. It's so in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So um, I just have a few slides I'm going to run through in terms of just a little bit more of my personal background, and then we will uh, dive into the word, right? Because y'all didn't really come to hear me talk about me. Y'all came to hear the word. Uh, so as I was saying, my, uh, I had a chance to go to University of Dayton. It was really, really cool. Great time. Probably the best thing that happened when I was there uh, was I met my beautiful wife. And that is probably yes, we can clap for that. That's great. OK, listen, I got a degree, but I got a wife, too. Yes. Um, and so she and I met, what I would say, in my victory lap year, most people go to college for four years. Uh, I was having too much fun, so I decided to stay a fifth year. Um, and so we met uh, towards the, like, the fall of that fifth year. What I didn't realize though, was that when we met uh, the second time in church, you know, I'm getting ready to go up and talk to her. It's that moment of service where you can like greet one another. And I'm like, hey, how you doing? My name's Jared. She's like, you don't remember me? Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how this is gonna turn out. Uh, but I didn't realize, like, I had met her two years prior. Uh, I was working as a janitor to try to pay through uh, pay my way through school, and I had met her in her sister's dorm room, right? Just, just take that for what it should be, okay? Uh, but she had changed. She completely changed. She looked different, all that good stuff, and so I said, hey, well, can I get your number? And she's like, no. That's that's not supposed to happen. Like I'm, a, I'm the big fraternity guy. Like Everybody knows me. You, you're supposed to give me your number. Uh, so it took her about three months to call me. Uh, but after that, we went on our first date um, and God has blessed us. And prayerfully, if I take out the trash and do the dishes this week, we'll see 12 years of marriage next Sunday. Uh, so I'm excited about that. God has been a true blessing to us and to our union. We have our wonderful children, uh, Jared Jr. and Lily Grace. We like to call them our miracle babies we were that family that the doctor said hey y'all not gonna have kids and i love our doctor she was she's great but she was very very blunt um y'all not gonna have kids just y'all might as well get ready to adopt uh because this is not gonna happen well how many people know that god has a final say um and so in god having the final say we had our amazing son and then here comes god sense of humor six months later my wife comes in is like i'm pregnant i said by who like this is <laughs> This is not supposed to be happening. Um, and it was by me. Hallelujah. Uh, so and then we had our lovely daughter. And in the midst of having our lovely daughter, I think the University of Kentucky started the, the phrase one and done. Um, well, we coined the phrase two and through. Uh, we were. That was it. So for those of you that have more than two kids, God bless y'all. We pray the Lord's spirit upon you. Uh, But for us, two two was enough. Um, And so God is really like I said, God has really blessed us um, in so many ways. And so in that, as he's blessed our family, we have taken on this church planting uh, call. Right. Being church planters is difficult. What do you mean by difficult, pastor? I don't think anybody wakes up and says, hey, I want to be a church planter. Okay, like you have to not only find a place to have church, you have to find people to come to your church. Not only do you have to find people to come to your church, you have to find money in order for your church to thrive. I I don't think anybody wakes up with the thought, the mindset to plan a church. But yet that's what God called us to. Um, God called on the phone and I had to pick up. Uh, I've seen what it's like to not answer when God asks you to do something. And I did not want to live a life like that. And so we answered the call. We ended up at our sending church called Revive City Church on the west side of Cincinnati. Uh, And my pastor, he knew I was a teacher. He said, Jared, I got a curveball for you. What do you think about planning a church? I said, you got the wrong person. I said, if you knew what I did in college and how I was living in college, you probably would not want me to pastor a church. He said, you're perfect for church planning. Okay all right so we go through this uh, assessment process and in this assessment process and i'm trying my best to speed up so we can get to the word um during the assessment process they ask you all these intrusive questions so think about the person closest to you and the questions that they could probably ask you the people during assessment ask access questions deeper than that so here was my plan pastor Tank. i went in saying i'm going to be overly honest I'm gonna tell them stuff that they didn't even ask me. So that way they will say, oh, he's not fit to be a pastor based on his answers. I had a plan y'all, I had a certified plan. So they asked me about my college background. They asked me about what I used to do in my neighborhood. I was so transparent. I just knew like, they not gonna ask me to preach and pastor nobody. A month later, I get a call from my pastor. He's like, man, you did great. I don't know what you said, but they gave you a green light. (laughs) god did you hear my prayer did you did you hear that i was not trying to do this and so uh again instead of just turning away we were full force uh and at that point my pastor came to me again he said jared i know you're working in the schools you love these young people but if you're going to church plant you've got to leave the classroom that was probably the hardest day other than like when one of my students uh was murdered and and dealing with some other stuff with some of the young people that i've worked with that was probably the hardest day in education that i've had to look at the faces of my kindergarten through eighth graders and say to them, Hey, Mr. Davis is no longer going to be here because I'm going to do something that God called me to do. That was, that was a tough day. But to know that I had their support, I had my principal support. We decided to dive head first into this thing. And so we are planting Restored Church in Middletown, Ohio. We are a church that firmly believes in putting Jesus on display. And we are a church that is a gospel-centered ministry that's intentionally connected, uh, community-minded and generous stewards. Now you may say, hey pastor, why Middletown? If you look at that statistic up there, you'll see why. Only 38.2% of people in Middletown, Ohio, identify as being either religious or part of any faith-based background. I want y'all to catch that statistic. If you wanna take a picture of it, write it down, get it in your mindset. 38.2% of the people, so now, When we look at the other side of that, 61.8 are lost. Atheists, agnostic, forget the church. I don't like y'all. Y'all are like weird, crazy folks. I'm not coming. There's room for the gospel in Middletown, Ohio. And we believe that we are graced enough to deal with the, the tension that exists in Middletown. And if you don't know much about Middletown, I'll just say there was a point in time in that city where the tracks separated, whether or not you were wealthy or poor, black or white. And even though it's 2023, there's still some of that happening as we speak. When we tell people what side of town we're planting on, these are their exact words. Oh, that's the white side of town. It's it's 2023. We we still do that. But that is the context of the city that we're planting in. And again, we feel like God has graced us with the, the gifting and the courage to take that on. And so we are excited about what God has called for us to do. I think there's one more slide there that just kind of shows uh, the makeup of who we are. And so uh, when I say we're gospel-centered, we firmly believe in the Bible. We stand on the word of God. You can have your opinion. That's super dope. I got my opinion. But at the end of the day, we're standing on the authoritative truth of the word. Uh, That's how I get down. That's how my dad got down as a helder in the church. And so that's what our church believes. Uh, and there's a beautiful young lady in that picture. Uh, our daughter, Lily Grace, just got baptized two weeks ago. So um, yes, we're excited about that. Where's the young lady that got baptized last week? C- Cecilia? Hey, turn, we, I'm gonna clap for you. I know they clap for you earlier, but I'm gonna clap for you too. That's the best decision you'll ever make. Like, I know you're going to be destined for great things. You're probably going to go to University of Kentucky, become like a doctor, lawyer or something. You're going to be amazing. But the best decision you ever made was last Sunday. All right. I just I want you to know that. super cool. Um, so we're a gospel centered church. Uh, we believe in being intentionally connected. And so our church, we try to be diverse. This is not a force diversity. We're not like, oh, yeah, we, we're trying to get all the white people in Middletown to come to our church. No, we want everybody. To come to our church, white, black, uh, even the song that we used to sing, Jesus loved the little children, red and yellow, black and white. There are pressures in the sight. We want every image bearer of God to find a home at restored church. When we say we're community minded, we want to be that church that is focused on being so, so much a part of the fabric of the community that if we left, somebody would say, hey, where'd they go? Like if, if we were not where we are in Middletown, Ohio, and we just decided to pick up and move, somebody should be making the comment, hey, where did Restored Church go? Because wherever they went, that's where we want to be. And so being a community-minded church, sometimes you may have to step outside the walls of the church in order to minister to the needs of this people. And this is how good God is. That brother that I'm praying for in that picture is a Steelers fan. My God today. <laughs> Won't he do it? He I tell you, the Holy Spirit will change your heart. But um, I, I was just really thankful to have that moment. And we, we kind of laughed at the end of the prayer. He looked at my hat. He said, you're a Browns fan. I said, yep, you just got covered by Jesus and a Browns fan. Hallelujah. <laughs> um, and then lastly, we are a church that believes in being generous stewards. We don't give to we don't get to give. I'm messing this up. We don't give to get. We give because he gave. Right, because Christ gave his life for us, there should be something in it. So we'll talk about it today that wants to be generous. There should not be a Christian alive that's like, I gotta hold on to this money for as long as I can. That's not what we called to do. I'm not saying you you're called to live broke or live a life where you just constantly giving, giving to everybody. But there should be something within the context of the church that says we want to do whatever we can to take these, these resources that God has given us and make sure our communities are better, as well as make sure the people in our church are better. And so one of the cool things we had a chance to do this year, again, as a former teacher, I've seen kids come to me on the first day. Hey, Mr. Davis, like I don't have no money to get my hair cut. Can you help me out? Bet. I got you this year instead of kids having that feeling our church was able to purchase 85 haircuts for young people to go back to school and look as clean as they possibly could now 85 might not sound like a a big number before a growing church plant of only 12 people we we literally got 12 people sometimes 20 on a good saturday right that was big for us for us to be able to go to those young people and say hey that's one less thing you got to worry about before you start the school year off we're going to make sure you look fresh um so that was really, really excited. And so we're looking forward to all that 2024 has in store for our church. All right. I think that's all the stuff about our church. If you got any questions about our church plant, feel free, ask me after service. I'll make sure I have a mint or gum in my mouth so I don't blow your face off uh, with the hotness of my breath. Um, so with that, let's get into the word. I'm really excited about this sermon. Um, I'm going to tell you now, you want to buckle your seatbelts. Yes, sir, pastor. This is this your church. I'm, I'm your guest. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I always run past that. So um, initially, 30 seconds, we were uh, going to partner with the older church that was kind of like dying out. The pastor was thinking about retiring. And we're like, hey, we're a church plant. Let's kind of like connect, right? Um, that didn't happen. They ended up taking a vote and they were like, hey, we love Pastor Jared and Restore Church, but we're, we're not going to do that. OK, cool. Um, can we at least use your building? until we find something for us yes you can use the building but you can only use it on Saturdays so we are unconventional in the fact that we meet on Saturday nights most SBC churches we meet in Sunday morning probably like early in the morning uh, if not 11 o'clock but for us Saturday was was the time frame that we were given and it's working Um, again it's different but is is working for us and so we're in that building until december uh my prayer has been my big prayer is god by december 31st at midnight i need you to let me know if you want us to stay in this building to give us some stability so we can stay in this community or if you want us to move and if you want us to move god kind of how they did in exodus we don't want to move without you i don't want to go if you are not going with us and so we're trying to figure that out so be in prayer for us to navigate that again when you are a church planter trying to find space is difficult. I wish we had something that looked as good as this. Y'all should give yourselves a hand. This looks amazing. But this costs money and we ain't got that. So we're uh, we're trying to figure we're trying to figure out next steps. So did that answer that question, Pastor? All right, cool. Yes. Yes. Feel free to ask any questions. Now, I will say if you have a question during the sermon, you might want to wait a little bit. Until later, uh, so I can get to you. But again, I I think the 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 teaching style that I always had was always allow my students to ask anything um, because I firmly believe in order for you to be a good educator, you had to be honest, integral and transparent. No kid is going to listen to you if you're not honest or transparent with them and and sure as heck not going to listen to you if you're not an integral, integral person. So awesome. With that. Beautiful people, I want to draw your attention. We're in the uh, the Sermon on the Mount series. I know Pastor Tink uh, brought some heaviness last week and walked us through some things concerning divorce, um, as well as some other topics. And so we're going to continue in that vein of challenge and toughness by looking at Matthew chapter five. Uh, and my goal today is to go after verses 38 through 48. All right. So as I look for my water that I thought I brought up here, did I not bring it up here? I am slipping today. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you. If you could uh, open your scripture to Matthew. Chapter five, 38 through 48. That would be amazing. And once you have it, uh, I know I'm not going to I promise you, all I'm not going to do this all the time. But if y'all could talk back to me just a little bit, it would help me preach a lot faster. So because I know y'all want to go home and see the game, like if y'all could hit me with a few amens or whatnot. I promise I'll sit down in like 20 minutes, maybe 40, but we'll we'll figure it out. All right. <clears throat> Matthew chapter five, verse 30. Yep. We'll start in verse 38. All right. It says you and I'm reading from the CSB version. So if you're reading from the ESV or even King James, it might sound just a little bit different. But trust me when I say the spirit of the word of God is yet and still uh, prevalent and the same. It says you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. Ooh, we already getting into some stuff. Verse 40 says, "As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt. Let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Verse 42, give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? That's a sermon in and of itself. Don't even the Gentiles do the same. Verse 48 is where we'll stop. Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Jesus is talking about some real good stuff here. Uh, And if I could phrase it In some words, I would say that in the context of the scripture that we have today, Jesus is calling us to behave better. If you needed like a sermon title for today in your notes, Jesus is calling us to behave better. Um, Being an educator, there were some times where uh, you just had certain students. All right. That would get the label of troubled, or they would get that stigma of they're not the best kid. And don't don't look at me like that. Some of y'all went to school with some of those people. You might've been that kid, uh, that people labeled as the the not so necessarily good kid. And what I realized was that sometimes with some of those students, it, it wasn't that they couldn't behave better. They just needed a better understanding of what they needed to behave better, meaning if the standard for them was always set here, they needed somebody to come along and say, you no longer can act according to this standard, you need to elevate. I firmly believe that good teachers always cause for those students who were behaving badly to elevate their behavior when they set a new standard for their students. And I think as as we journey through our text today, we'll see that the the impetus behind Jesus's statements in this text, uh, taking the law of Moses, which the Pharisees and those gathered would have known to be true through his hyperbolic speech. He's raising the bar. He's helping them to understand. You thought that the law of God asked you to act like this. But now here I am, the word in flesh, drawing you to behave better. And beautiful people, it's, it's my goal, my hope today is, as we go through this text that we will see how we need to raise our standard of behavior, how we need to elevate our living. Well, well Reverend, I, I've been in church for 40 years. I'm not changing. Pastor, I've been a part of this community longer than you've probably been alive. I hear you. But unfortunately, you stuck with me for the next 40 minutes. And my goal is to make you change just a little bit according to the text. It's not Jared. That's calling you to change. Hopefully it's this scripture as we go through it that causes us to change and have a desire to simply behave better. So let's I hold you too long and and you say I didn't do my homework. Journey with me to verse 38 and 39. The first point that I want to get to you today is in order for us to behave better, Jesus is calling us to resist retaliation. That's the first point I want to get to you today. We have a call to resist retaliation. Jesus says in the text, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye in tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist. Don't set yourself against. Don't retaliate against an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. Right out the gate, Jesus is elevating and providing clarity on what the law of God Really means um, for, for my Old Testament scholars here. Jesus is quoting from Exodus 21 and 24. We also see this motive in Deuteronomy 19 and 21, as well as Leviticus 24 and 20. And it's the, the lex teleonis, the, the retribution principle, the, the law of retaliation, the law of retribution. Uh, this was a legal principle intended to ensure that punishment for wrongdoing was proportionate and not excessive. Meaning if you took my shirt, I couldn't take your life because you took my shirt. If you took my camel, the only thing that I could get back in terms of the lex telionis was my camel back. I couldn't go further than that. And so now as Jesus quotes the the, the word from the Old Testament, the, the scriptures, he's got their attention concerning what they believe they know. But he elevates what they think they know and corrects their misunderstanding of it by telling them, don't resist, don't retaliate against an evil person, the evil one who brings injury, as we see it in the Greek. Now, if you're like me, when I was kind of reading this text for myself, it, it would seem like Jesus is promoting passivity. It, it seems that way. Uh, and, and almost telling the crowd present and us to not defend ourselves, to not to defend ourselves. But can I help us today, church? It, it's actually quite, the contrary, Jesus is not advocating for passivity, but he is challenging the spirit of vengeance. This idea of if you do it to me, I'm going to come after you even more. That, that spirit that, that sometimes has crept up in people that we've seen in society where they might have had something wrong done to them. And instead of going the right way, the legal way to take care of it, they decided to take vengeance in their own hands. He's encouraging a response that goes beyond the legalistic I for an I principle, but is elevating that principle and promoting a a radical departure from the idea of seeking revenge or seeking vengeance and personal retribution and just simply saying, you wronged me, you insulted me, I'm good with that. Man, could you imagine what our societies, what our families would look like if we had that mindset Oh, you said something about me that I thought was so wrong and crazy, but instead of me retaliating, you can have it. How different would our society be? How different would our churches be? Now, I know this doesn't happen at Bellevue. So pastor, I'm not talking about none of your people, but I feel like we've had issues in the church, drama in the church because we have not fully understand understood the context here. Instead of following Jesus's words, we've decided we're going to take vengeance into our own hands. They wronged me, so I'm going to wrong them back. They deserve this, even though what they did to me might not have been that big. My goodness, people of God, we got some got some behavior that we need to change. Well, pastor, I, I don't believe you. I feel like you're just making this up. Well, we kind of see this evidence even more in the New Testament. First Peter Three nine says not paying back evil for evil, or this is the context that Jesus is speaking in insult for insult. But on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. Sometimes shut mouth grace is what you need. Hey, Pastor, I don't know what shut mouth grace is. Let me tell you, shut mouth grace is what somebody fixed their mouth to say something about you. And instead of you opening your mouth to make it like even worse and go after them, you shut your mouth and you walk in the grace that God has given you to shut your mouth. Well, Pastor, I don't like to do that. I want to tell everybody about themselves, especially when they talk about me. If, if you look at the text, I, I think it's here. Not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, that, that means counter of what you may want to do. Give a blessing since you were, watch this, called for this. We realize the church, the ecclesia, the the called out ones, all of us have been called to follow Jesus. And so since we have chosen to to, to follow the Lord and we we are the called out ones, the ecclesia, we got to sometimes shut that mouth. So that way we don't go insult for insult. I, I think all of us, needs this. And here it is. I love Jesus. He not only talks, he's a great preacher, right? He not only gives the set standard, but he gives an example. Jesus is an illustrative preacher. Verse 39 says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn them the other cheek also. Now, I don't like this verse. Pastor, you're not allowed to say that. Yes, I am. I don't necessarily like this verse because The way I used to look at it, again, I thought Jesus was calling us to be passive. Not so much. Walk with me. This is this verse is symbolic and powerful. In the cultural context of that time, a slap on the right cheek was considered particularly insulting. Um, I don't know if you all ever seen those like old Western movies. The the guy would take off his glove uh, like real slow and then like slap the person on the other cheek, oh, and I challenge you to a duel, young man, oh, I'll see you outside, good sir. that That's the, the context that, that we have here. And so by advising the people present and us to turn the other cheek, Jesus is suggesting to the crowd and to us to respond to insult with humility and nonviolence. It's a call to break the cycle of violence and to respond to aggression with the spirit of forgiveness and love beyond what I might think I'm able to give. And watch this. Let God defend you. I know that's tough. They talked about you. They talked about your family. They even said some derogatory things about them. And if that's not you, let me open you to my life. As a pastor, I have had people say not only stuff about me, but that beautiful family that God has given me. I've had people say some really spiteful stuff about that one there that I've chosen to be married to for the rest of my life. And instead of giving them every possible word that's not in scripture, I decided it's not even worth it. Now, if, if you're like me, um, you might have grown up in a church where you heard this passage in Sunday school or maybe even during VBS. And some deacon, elder or teacher gave you what I would say their version of what this particular scripture meant. Um, and if we're really honest, it, it probably was off the mark a little bit. I've heard people take this scripture and flip it, twist it in ways that I didn't even think you could flip and twist a scripture. And, and for me, um, here, here's what I'll say. The worst example of this scripture I've heard used is people advocating for spousal abuse. Hey, it's OK for you to hit your wife. It's all right. She'll just turn the other cheek. I've seen grown men take this scripture and flip it and twist it in ways that Jesus never intended it to be used for. My, my former students will probably wag their finger at them and say, hey, that's not it. And so what I want to do today is help us understand when we see turn the other cheek, uh, I, I want to provide us understanding on, on maybe how we've gotten it wrong in the past. And, and I give credit to Pastor David Gizek for this because he he kind of helped me understand what this really meant. So here we go. We, we still walking uh, in verse 39. Y'all with me? Yes. Cool. All right. Amen. It's it's okay to talk back to the preacher. At least today. Now next Sunday, y'all y'all can go back silent if you want to. But today, y'all, I, I need you to talk back to me. All right. Um, so here it is, verse 39, talking about turning other cheek. It's wrong to think or amplify this passage in a way that advocates that people cannot defend themselves against evil people. Remember, in the cultural context of that day, we're talking biblical, first century. Right. It it a slap on the cheek was a deep insult. Notice the text did not say a punch on the cheek or shooting on the cheek. It it said a slap on the cheek, which was a deep insult. If someone, hear me, if someone tries to physically harm you or your family, you not only have the right to protect yourself in them, but glory to God, the Bible Gives us credence to protect ourselves as well. Uh, you can find this in Exodus 22, verses 2 and 3, or even the fact, and y'all may not believe this, but it's in scripture. That's why I love the Bible. The disciples carried swords with them. Y'all think when they were walking into Capernaum and some of the other places they went, people weren't trying to be violent against them? Jesus is healing and setting people free. When well, he cast those demons into to, to the pigs, do y'all know what that did for their social economic status? Folks, was mad and possibly wanted to run up on the disciples. They had to stay ready, so they didn't have to get ready. So you're hearing the pastor say, it's okay for people to protect yourself if people are trying to harm you. Okay, hopefully hopefully you got that in your system, all right? Here's the second thing. It's wrong to look at this passage and think that we aren't supposed to resist evil or that bad things should not be dealt with. I don't know about y'all, but Ohio, is really big with human trafficking. It would be foolish for me to say I'm a believer in Jesus and act like I don't know that that's something that's wrong. And just say, oh, not my circus, not my monkey. I'm gonna just go to church, I'm good, I don't care about that. We're we're not called to be apathetic We're not called to just turn away from those type of things. We are called if we see injustice happening, when we know that children are being murdered at school, when we know that innocent civilians are being killed at the hands of government leaders and law enforcement, something in us should speak up and stand firm against those injustices. To be apathetic would almost make me call your Christianity into question. Oh, wait, pastor, you don't know me like that. Uh, I know that if you say you a believer, there should be something in you that says when I see an injustice happen, I don't just turn my back and act like I didn't see it. But I find a way for the Lord to use me in order to do what I can do to show the love of Christ. It is flat out wrong for us not to speak truth to power when we see things that are not right i promise you i'm trying to move through this real quick but i want to give you understanding today it's wrong to misunderstand this passage and think that there's no place for punishment or judgment i've heard preachers like read this text and say oh well evil just happened it's okay like no i firmly believe when evil happens, we have judges in place for a reason. We have law enforcement in place for a reason. Evil will be dealt with. And here it is. If it's not dealt with in this lifetime, I'm thankful that we got a king that sits on the throne that will absolutely judge everything that you have said and done. Evil is supposed to be punished. We, we see this even in Romans 13, uh, Romans chapter, chapter 13, verses one through four. It gives us in understanding that there are authorities in place to administer judge justice to those who resist. So here it is, church, while we may turn the other cheek, and we might personally be insulted, know that God has a way of fighting for us where justice will be served. Well, pastor, it didn't happen quick enough. That's okay. God has a way of fighting for his children where you may not see retribution in his lifetime. Oh, but trust me, They're going to get the get back, as we used to say in my neighborhood. They're going to get the payback. Uh, I like the way Matthew Henry categorizes this. He says, we may avoid evil and may resist it so far as is necessary to our own security. But we must not render evil for evil, must not bear a grudge, nor avenge ourselves, nor study to be even with those who have treated us unkindly. But, but we must go beyond them by forgiving them. I remember somebody saying one day, man, the church has a forgiving problem. How is it that the, the people that were forgiven at Calvary, the people that were thought of at Calvary, we have a forgiving problem. We, we got to fix that church. We, we got to behave a little bit better. So here it is. I'm, I'm, I'm moving now. Um, Jesus is challenging those in the text and even us to move beyond a legalistic understanding of justice and embrace an elevated ethic of love, mercy and forgiveness. He goes a step further. Journey with me to verses 41, 42, uh, 40 through 42 verses 40 through 42. So in the beginning, we have a call to resist retaliation. Now we'll see in these three verses a call to radical servitude and generosity. Yep. Challenge even more, a call to radical servitude and generosity. Verse 40 says, ask for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt. Let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. And then verse 42 says, give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Let's go back to verse 40. In verse 40, Jesus uses a legal situation, specifically a lawsuit, as an example of elevated generosity. Uh, in the culture of that time, people commonly wore um, an inner garment, all right? Uh, Often referred to as a a shirt, okay? And then they had an outer garment, uh, I believe would would be called a tunic or, or we can refer to it as a coat. And using this example, Jesus advises his followers not to resist or retaliate when someone wants to take their shirt through a lawsuit, but rather instead of fighting, he encourages them to willingly give up even more. Um, Now, I want to help somebody here because I I don't want you running out to church naked. Like, I got to give my clothes away to everybody. No, no, no. This text is not calling us to be bare and naked out here and just giving the shirts off my back uh, because I think if you went out here in your freedom clothes, uh, you you would end up in jail really, really quickly. And I, I don't want you to go to jail. However, I do believe that what's being reflected here is an ethic that challenges the natural human inclinations to seek self-preservation in doing what's best for me. By suggesting that that they and and we should hand over our coat as well, I would say Jesus is promoting a radical form of generosity. It implies going above and beyond what is asked or required even in a legal context. So, So watch this. This act of giving the coat as well not only demonstrates a willingness to share but it goes beyond my comfort that allows me to demonstrate the love of Christ. Ask yourself the question, when was the last time you surrendered something that you might have wanted for the benefit of somebody's need? When was the last time you surrendered something you wanted for the benefit of somebody else's need? Well, pastor, I don't like that. Go to verse 41. Okay, cool. Let's go to verse 41. Uh, When we look at Verse 41, because Jesus, again, he's amplifying this idea of us being better, behaving better. It says, go the extra mile. If somebody asks you to walk a mile, go the extra mile. This verse literally titled in some of your Bibles, the go the extra mile verse. Jesus is addressing the issue of forced service or labor. Um, When we look at the cultural context of that day, uh, the Roman occupation of Israel during that time, Roman soldiers had the authority. If you were walking on the street and they saw you, they could drop their gun, their pack, whatever they had and put it at your feet and force you to walk a mile. All right. I I want you to get this. You could be having a great day and all of a sudden a Roman soldier shows up and they drop their stuff at your feet. You are now required by the law of the cultural context of that day to walk a mile. You didn't ask for that. You didn't want to do that. But you have to because that was the context of that day. And so just to give you number, a number perspective, a Roman wild mile was about 1,000 paces, if you can imagine that. 1,480 meters. I want you to put your, your thinking caps on with me today. Could you imagine you having a great day? Life is great, awesome. And then suddenly, because of status in society, the Roman soldier comes to you, puts his stuff down at your feet, possibly with a sword, his hand on a sword to let you know, I got the authority, I got, I got the power. You could try to resist if you want to. And now you pick up the equipment and you carry it for him. And I'll be honest with y'all, when I see myself in the text, as much as I want to say uh, what I think I would say in this situation, the reality is if we were present in that day, we would have to do it. And I know sometimes that when we're forced to do some things, uh, I may be contemplating I can't wait for this to be done. I'm so ready for this to be over with. But watch this. The way Jesus phrases this, it's almost as if he's saying, instead of harboring disgust and vitriol feelings for this person, I want you to go beyond what has been required of you and serve that person in the fullness, in the way in which I served you. Huh. Imagine if Jesus had stopped at the place where he was whipped. Imagine if Jesus, while he was on the road to Golgotha, stopped and just said, this is enough. I've served these people enough. He didn't. He didn't just stop there. He didn't end until he said, it was finished. This this challenges us. I don't know if you're being challenged today, church. I hope you are. Um, it, it challenged the prevailing norms and expectations turning the situation into an opportunity for transformation. Jesus is helping us to understand and and, and raising the bar concerning our hearts that if somebody asks you to do something, even when you don't feel like it, doing it, but doing it in a way where they see the love of Jesus in and through you. Ask yourself the question, when's the last time you went the extra mile for somebody? And I'm not just talking about going the extra mile for people we love. That's easy, right? I can go the extra mile for my wife. Look how fine she is. This is great. I can go the extra mile for her. But when you're called to go the extra mile for the person that cussed you out last week, when you're called to go the extra mile for that coworker that tried to get you fired by putting in miscellaneous paperwork saying that you said something to them and you weren't even there that day, can we go the extra mile? for those people, even when we may not like them. Can you go the extra mile even when Christ calls you to do it and you wanna tell him no? In a world that's focused on self, Jesus is challenging us to be for others. Look at verse 42. Uh, It says, give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Okay, now now let me help us because I've also heard this text misused and twisted uh, in, in multiple ways. Many people have taken this verse and used it as a literal guiding principle to give all of their possessions away. This is where you find some monks quoting this verse as the pool to live in poverty for those that have taken on that call. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Bless you. That's not what Jesus is called. Jesus is not calling for a life of poverty in this um, this verse. While it's not calling us to extreme uh, extremes of poverty, it's calling us to a bigger idea of generosity and what it looks like to willingly go beyond the limit that we may feel comfortable with to extend the love and grace that Jesus is calling us to. Not comfortability, calling, not what makes me feel good. What is Jesus pushing me to? I know some of us don't want to give a dime out of our pocket. You know how hard I work for this money? You know how hard as a former teacher it was for me to get that paycheck? I got kids calling me on my name. I got parents acting like they don't want to show up to uh, parent-teacher conferences. I know that's none of y'all in here. Y'all are the world's greatest parents. Y'all are awesome. Y'all are amazing. Not talking about y'all. Talking about the parents that I had, right? How hard it was for me to work for that money. And now, God, you want me to cut a check to a homeless shelter so these brothers know what it's like to tie a tie? Huh. You want me to give money to one of my students? I know they struggle with drug problems, but you said they haven't eaten. I felt through the Holy Spirit. They haven't eaten in days. You want me to trust them? Well, $50 that I worked for? God, come on, ain't no way. Yep, even that, even that, God might be calling you to a higher level of generosity. Will you answer the call? If we're honest, some of us will hang up the phone instantaneously. Nope, not my money. Not going to happen. But what if, what if, church, what if Jesus is pushing you to reshape your idea of generosity, reshape your idea of servitude and wanting you to position yourself to be so, so sacrificial that you would be willing to meet other people's needs before you seek your wants? I know you deserve some of the stuff you have. We got to be careful about saying that. But y'all, y'all look like great, awesome people that have worked hard for what you have. I love it. But what if God says, before you get that next one, I need you to meet somebody's need. What if before you cut that check for that thing that's going to bring you so much joy, that nice little purse, you done had your eye on, you done went to the mall and you didn't tried it on, all and all that good stuff. What if God says, hey, don't do that. Don't buy that. There's a family in need. Are you willing to say, yes, here I am, Lord. I'm willing to do that. All right. So. Um, as we move along in the text, I told you I'm going to try my best not to be long. I know I done already got on some of y'all nerves, so we're going we to keep pressing forward. Journey with me now to verses 43 and 47. Now, I feel like I'm in a good space. I'm, I'm drawing to a quick close. They say Baptist preachers got three closes. So this is like one and a half right now. So I got about one and a half more closes before we get out of here. So we see that Jesus has helped us understand a call to resist retaliation. We also see that Jesus has helped us understand a, a radical um, context of, of servitude and generosity. Now, in verses 43 through 47, we see a call to real love, a, a call to real love. Watch this, verse verse 43 to 47, it says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, yeah, look at Jesus again. I love it. But I tell you, love your enemies and Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. I I know this isn't in my notes, but I just feel led to tell somebody with this. Stop thinking that just because evil people are prospering, that like God is allowing them to prosper. Like God reigns on the just and the unjust. And we just going to let them be like when evil people prosper, don't even focus on that. Just focus on what God has for you. All right. Verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. Jesus brings this next portion to the forefront from the Old Testament in Leviticus 19, 18, where it says, do not seek revenge or bear grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, notice the line in that scripture, Leviticus 19, 18. It says, among your people. I can see how it will be easy for the Pharisees, the disciples, and others gathered at that time when they were listening to Jesus to say, great, I'm called to simply just love my neighbor and those who are among my people. Trust me, I'm going somewhere with this. But Jesus doesn't give them an easy out. He raises the bar concerning their heart posture and says, but I tell you, if you like a highlighter person of your Bible, you should definitely highlight that. But I tell you, Jesus tells us, love your enemies. But wait, there's more. He doesn't stop there. He says, love your enemies and conjunction, junction, what's your function? Pray for those who mistreat you. I got some old school folks that caught that. Yeah. Yeah. There is no. Love your enemies or pray for them. It says love your enemies and pray for them. We don't have a choice. It is both and, not either or. Well, pastor, I I don't love them, so I'll pray for them. That's not in the text. The text says love and pray. You want to put a bumper sticker on your car? It should say love and pray. Not like I'm going to just love those who I feel comfortable loving. No, we're called in this text to love our enemies and pray for those who mistreat us, who do evil against us. Let's be honest. Can we be honest today? Pastor Tinker, now we, we believe in authenticity. We, we like to talk and when we talk, we, we get real. We get honest. So that's what we're going to do today. If we're honest, it's counterintuitive in our world today to love just anybody. Right. If we if we can just be honest, it's counterintuitive to say, like, yeah, I'm going to just love any and everybody, because the way society phrases it now, you should only love the people group that agree with you. You should only love those people that affirm everything that you want them to affirm. I don't see that in the text. Uh, while it might be hard to love people who are our enemies or as the Greek text says, uh, ekthros, the, the foe who is hostile, We're called to do it because it underscores the importance of having a transformed heart and an attitude like Jesus, a transformed heart in an attitude like Jesus. And and I know I'm not going to say who the person was uh, that said this, but um, let's just say I I grew up with this person. He said, hey, bro, I hear you. But like, I don't want to love people who don't agree with me. He looked me in my face and say, hey, Jay, or my, my, my street nickname was Jay Rock. Y'all just, y'all, y'all let that be, right? Okay, um, <laughs> hey, Jay Rock, I, I don't want to love people who don't agree with me. I don't want to love people who live on Harvard because even though they are a mile away from where we are on Kinsman, if they run up on me and my family, I feel like I got a right to kill them, shoot them, take whatever, because I don't have no love for them. As people, we sometimes can get in our flesh and choose not to love others. Maybe you're not like my friend I grew up with, but I think if we're honest, that's some of us. There are some people in society that we don't want to love. Maybe it's just because of our attitude. Maybe it's because of our bias. Don't know. Maybe it's simply because of choice. I'm choosing not to love them. I'm willingly waking up and saying, I don't like them, wagging my hand. I don't like those people. Wherever you are, regardless of why you may feel like you deserve the right to not love people the way Christ has called us to. Can I draw your attention to a scripture that I hope will humble you and put you on your face today? Yes, I said it just like that. Romans 5, 6 through 8. Romans 5, 6 through 8. Pastor Tink, I don't think I'm going to be invited back, man. So this was great. I love you. I appreciate you. Yeah, this is <laughs> we ain't never bring him back. Uh, Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, for while we were still helpless, At the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. Enter in your name. Christ died for your name. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, plural, everybody. That's that's street language for everybody. Let me put my theological uh, college degree hat on. Everybody. Christ died for us. Um, So what are you trying to get me to understand, pastor? Because Jesus died for you, you don't get the right to say, I can't love them. You don't have permission to leave this place, being in the power of the Holy Spirit to say, I'm not going to love them because, insert whatever that thing is, that's causing you not to love them. For us to be so graciously loved, we who are children of God should display the character of our Savior by acting the way he did. Well, Pastor, I don't like that. I don't. It's in the text. Verse forty five says so that you may be that you might show yourselves to be children of your heavenly father. Love has nothing to do with your personal character, but everything to do with Jesus personal character. How dare we say I'm a Christian and some of us have even gotten so comfortable in saying we're Christian. We got bumper stickers that say, like, do you follow me as closely as you follow Christ? We want everybody to know that we are a believer. But does your character say that you are a follower of Christ? Does the way you love show that you are absolutely a follower of Jesus or does your character show that you are a follower of you or you are a follower of the group that affirms whatever it is that you like? Church, I promise you I'm not trying to step on your toes today without stepping on mine because I'm gonna be honest with you. It's been some folks in the past few years that I've scratched my hand, I'm like, God, you want me to love them? Like them people over there? Yeah, I want you to love them because I first loved you when you were wretched, when you was doing all that foolish stuff that could have got you killed, when you was doing all that dumb stuff that probably should have got you locked up. Thank God you had a praying father and a praying mother while you were yet in sin. Christ died for you. I love y'all. I ain't dying for none of y'all. Let me just let me say that from my heart. Y'all look so amazing. Pastor Ting. you ain't tell me your congregation looked this good, man. They some good looking folk. I ain't dying for y'all. I'm sometimes wondering if I might even jump in front of a train for my kids. I don't know. I know they saved, so I see them in glory. I'd, I'd probably die for them. But I'm not dying for the context of the world. But Jesus did. And so because he died... We've got to love. It should be a part of the fabric of our character. Okay, I see the looks that I'm getting. Pastor, I don't want to love them because they vote differently than I do. No one asked you. No one cares. Check your box, whatever you want to vote for, and love them anyway. Well, pastor, I don't want to love them because they march and they say things that I don't like. No one cares. You ain't got to go to the march. You ain't got to like what they're marching about, but you have to love. Pastor, I don't want to love them because their sexual ethic is different from mine, and I don't like that. No one cares. Love them anyway because Christ loved you. He died for you. And so because he died for us, we have a responsibility. Hear me, church? If you don't hear me say nothing else today, because I know some folks already checked out. You're probably getting ready to check on the score of the game. I'm with you. I wish I could check on the score myself. We are called to love even when it hurts. I don't like that, pastor. Okay, well, let me say it like this. Jesus didn't say we have to agree. He said we have to love and Pray. Everybody not going to agree with you. Everybody not going to vote the way you vote. Everybody not going to march what you march for. Everybody not going to maybe be uh, in your country club or your your specific group the way you are. Can you love the way Jesus has loved you? Can you pray for folks even when they get on your nerves? Yeah, I know. I'm talking about like my own kids, too, because sometimes kids get on your nerves. Can you love and pray for them even when they get on your nerves? You got that one family member that every time they come to your house for a holiday, you like, why are they here? Why do they keep coming? They wasn't even invited. How did they get the message to show up today? Hey, they here. Can you love and pray for them like somebody love and pray for you? I love the laughs because I mean, we on the same page. We just got some of the family members. You like, uh, I don't know why they're here. Can you love and pray for them? Hear me, church. If I can fix my mouth to tear someone down because their societal status, their economic status, behavior or lifestyle might be different than mine, than my biblical standard. Then I have more than enough energy to stop what I'm doing and pray that the grace of Jesus will pour out on them and transform their life. Somebody prayed for you. We used to have a song in the church that we sang. Now, I, I grew up in so many different churches. We can talk about that later. But we used to have a song that said, my mother prayed for me had me on her mind, took the time to pray for me. I'm so glad she prayed. I'm so glad she prayed. I'm so glad she prayed for me. And then it would say, my grandmother prayed for me. There are people who you don't even know that have been praying for you since you came out the womb. You are a product of somebody's prayer. How dare we put ourselves in a position where we fold our hands and say, no, they don't deserve my love. They don't deserve my prayer. Could you imagine if Jesus was on a cross and you stood in front of him and he got off that cross and said, I'm not dying for you today. Nope. All your hiccups, all your hangups. Nah, you're not worth it. He didn't say that. He went to the cross while we were yet still sinners and died for us. Hear me, Church, it's easy for us to love people who look like us, think like us. Vote like us. That's why the text says in verse 46 and 47, if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? Let me make it plain for today. Doesn't even the world do that? Doesn't the world just love people that love them and affirm them and affirm whatever they want to do? Jesus is calling us to behave better. He's calling us, raising our ethics to say, hey, don't be like the world. The world chooses who they love based on these set parameters. I'm telling you to love beyond that because of the way I have loved you. But the only way we can do that is if we have a transformed heart and a transformed mind to love like Jesus. So we're called to resist retaliation. We're called to a radical form of servitude and generosity. We're called to real love and not just love, but love and prayer. And here's why I think Jesus made sure to put love and prayer because I think love and prayer helps us in our pursuits to carry out this last verse. I promise you I'm done. So this is like my second close, okay? I'm I'm getting to three. Here it is. Verse 48 it says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Jesus concludes this challenge filled teaching by giving a focal point for Christian behavior that we must never forget. He says, Be holy or be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, If you're like me, you've heard this verse time and time again in every church you've probably been a part of, and it's made you feel one or two ways. One, I'm never going to be perfect, so why try? Or two, we create our own standards of perfection, and then we wag our finger at people who don't live up to our standard of perfection. Can I help you this morning? The word perfect here translated into Greek, teleos. This word can be translated as mature or full grown of of mind and character, one who has reached the proper height of virtue and integrity. In essence, while we may not be sinless, we can strive and aim to be perfect in our behavior, making sure that it is always maturing and growing in a way that reflects the perfect character of our savior. I know we ain't perfect. I know many of y'all would say, Pastor, look. I'm a a sinner saved by grace. I'm never going to be perfect. I'm with you. I'm raising my hand there too. But just because we can't be perfect doesn't mean that we can't pursue behaving better and growing in maturity and in the love of our perfect Savior. Pastor, I don't necessarily want to always do that. Well, let me give you some things to help you. As a teacher, I feel like I got to help us real quick. When it comes to our character, you can be perfect for your father is perfect because while we may not be flawless, we can pray about our flaws so that we can be more Christ-like. When it comes to maturity, it is impossible for us to achieve Christ-like character overnight, just like it's difficult for anyone in the world to turn around the behavior overnight. But watch this with prayer, fasting and daily reading of the word. God has the power to mature us like he's taking us from being infants to adults. Remember when I was a child, I thought like a child, acted like a child. But now that I'm an adult, I put childish things away. Stop telling Jesus, oh, that's too hard for me. Stop telling Jesus, oh, I can't grow and be better. You breathing, aren't you? Yep. If Last time I checked, I don't see no caskets up in here. So praise God for that. If you're breathing, that means you still got time to elevate your behavior and elevate your ethic to what Jesus is calling us to. And then finally, you got character maturity. And then the third way I want to help us out in just understanding this is in love. When I seek to love others as compassionately and graciously as Jesus loves me, it should draw me to a place that I want to do the same thing. Yes, I know, no one is perfect. But if we continue to obey the word, commit to growing in our discipleship and genuinely through the power of the Holy Spirit, not your own strength, Don't don't get it twisted. I'm not saying you can do any of this by yourself. You need Jesus. You need the Lord. You need the Holy Spirit to love people who you don't like and they don't like you. But in order for us to rise above this mediocrity of Christianity we've created, we've got to pursue Christ in a way where we are asking him daily. God, make me more mature. Grow me in my way to love. God, grow me in my character to where when people see me, they know I'm a Christian. I don't even got to say it because it's in the fabric of my character. Pastor, you done stepped on my toes. You done made me feel bad. I'm angry with you. I don't like what you was preaching. Okay, cool. All right, I get that. We've all been challenged by this text today. Even I have been challenged giving this to you all. As we have been challenged to resist retaliation, reshape our view of servitude and generosity, um, even understanding real love and remembering this great call, I would say here's the hope. The hope in all of this is that Jesus did everything I'm asking us to do. I thought I was going to get somebody to run around the church and say amen about that. Okay, I'm going to give you a second. Let me, let me take a sip. Okay, let me rewind and press play. The hope is that everything that I just called us to do, emphatically implored us to take on and do, Jesus already did it. Pastor, I don't believe. Hey, okay, there we go. Hallelujah. I got a few amens. Pastor, I don't believe you. OK, when it comes to turning the other cheek, remember, this is about insults. They called him Beelzebub. That's what they called Jesus. You know how much of an insult that is to call the king of kings and the Lord of lords the devil? They called Jesus a blasphemer. They called him a drunkard. They called him a glutton and a madman. That's all in scripture. I didn't make none of that up. Jesus was insulted. He didn't fire back. Well, well Pastor, I still don't believe you. He said, give your cloak and go the extra mile while Jesus loves. He performed while Jesus loved, he performed miracles beyond what people ask. And he never asked for anything in return. His power was taken from him when the woman with the issue of blood touched the hem of his garment, yet he did not rebuke her for a touch. He went the extra mile. He went the extra mile by going to the cross. Well, pastor, he didn't love his enemies. I think the Bible says something different. I think the Bible says, as I said earlier, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, And while none of us were born during that, that first uh, century when Jesus was placed on the cross, it is no doubt in my mind that he thought of us when he hung his head, bled, and died for us. Well, Pastor, I don't believe Jesus was holy for his father was holy. Jesus could have called fleets of angels down when he was on the cross. This is not Jared. This is the Bible. He could have called fleets of angels to take him off that cross and wipe out every soldier that was present. But yet, in full obedience, being holy because his father is holy, he stayed on the cross. And he died for us. Undeserving sinners, he died for. He demonstrated for us with his life what it means to resist retaliation, to radically serve and give to those who despise him. He demonstrated what real love is. And before he left this world, he gave us a charge to live out. Church, you may not be perfect, I and I'm not either, but we've got a charge. We, we've got a call to make sure that we resist retaliation. We, we've got a call to amplify and raise our level of generosity in how we serve other people. We, we've got a call to really love, not just talk about it, not wear it on t-shirts because it looks cute, but to really be about it. Jesus is calling us to live this out. Will you join me? Will you join your pastor in doing all that we can to live out this word not just talk about it but be about it behave better and live this thing out last thing I'm gonna say for real for real this time okay this is literally like my third close I'm done I'm done Uh, one of the things I always used to do in my classroom uh, before students left they always had what I would call takeaway points right this is what you you either had to say this back to me or at least write it down so I knew you understood something I talked about today Some of y'all might have checked out 40 minutes ago. It's okay. You got this. You got takeaway points. So this is what I want you to take away from this message today. We are called to a higher standard of behavior regardless of what society does. And I meant to write it in this morning. uh, Regardless of what you feel. Regardless of what society does. And regardless of what you feel. We are called to a higher standard of behavior. Second thing I want you to walk away with. Real love is driven by the example Jesus has set for us and not what society dictates to us. Society does not get to dictate how love works. God is love. He is the epitome of love. He he is the reason why we even know what love is. So I don't care what society says love is or looks like, it does not dictate to me how that works. The Bible dictates to me how to love, how love works in the fullness of it. Last thing, being perfect has nothing to do with perfection. But everything to do with growth, maturity, and character building in and through Jesus. Church, don't try to do it by yourself because you're going to cut somebody out. You're going to try to run somebody over with your car. Ooh, did he just say that? Yup, because I feel that way sometimes. Especially on the highway. Woo. Okay. Can't be the only one. Don't try to do it on your own strength. Do it in the strength and the grace of Christ because then you move you out of the way and allow the Holy Spirit to take presence, precedence, over any and everything that you might want to say and or do. And I just believe, church, I believe if we can get these takeaways in our spirit, church might look a little bit better to some folks. We might actually look like what we say we, we are, which are Christians, which are followers of the way, followers of Jesus. So it's my prayer that I said something today that made sense. Uh, if I got on your nerves, that's OK. You can shake my hand and give me a hug and tell me later. Um, but I was called to do an assignment today. And I hope as we walk through this text, God challenged you, the Holy Spirit convicted you and challenged you in ways where you could grow and continue to be better. All right, Pastor Ting, I'm good, man. You.